You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Give your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to Acts chapter 17, and you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word uh, that you would. Uh, we're preaching through the book of Acts right now in our uh, church there in Gainesville. And uh, we entitled the series, uh, Continuing What Jesus Started. Because uh, we read the book of Acts sometimes, and uh, it's 28 chapters, but when you get to chapter 28, the work doesn't stop. Uh, these are the Acts of the Apostles through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I am a history nerd, and, and some of you are, some of you fall asleep when just the mention of history. On the way up here, we stopped at Eisenhower's Presidential Museum there in Abilene, and we enjoyed that, walking around and uh, learning some of those things. But there's three kinds of people that study history. There's scholars, uh, there is admirers, and, and then there's soldiers. When we look at the book of Acts, we can study it one of three ways. We can study it as a cold scholar, and we can look at facts and places and, 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 and locations. That's not why God gave us the book of Acts. We, we can study it as an admirer and say, wow, that's awesome. We think of the day of Pentecost and we think of some of these things when Stephen gets up and preaches and, and how the Apostle Paul, God met him on the road to Damascus. And we say, wow, that's awesome. But God didn't give us the book of Acts to be an admirer of it. He gave us the book of Acts because we are soldiers in the same battle. Because the job that, that was started there in Acts chapter 1-8, when you shall receive power, is still the commission today. It is still what God wants us to do. And that God has given us this book to study it as committed soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that commission that he was given to the disciples then is still for us today. And so as we go through the book of Acts, I've told our church, like, we're not looking at this just to know some facts and some history. We're looking at this, how it can practically affect our lives. How it can affect uh, the cities and the locations and the places that God has placed us in, just as Paul and his missionary team did here in this chapter. So we you found your place there in Acts chapter 17. We're going to read the first 15 verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into the message. The Bible says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Verse number five, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and, and these do all contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, and whose coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and then they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. 
But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they conducted Paul and brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. This verse 6 is probably a verse that you've heard and are at least familiar with, that these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. And we think that verse, like, wow, that's an amazing thing. But here's the, here's the truth that we want to look at this morning, that God has called you to turn the world upside down. This wasn't a history lesson to say, wow, look what Paul did. No, Paul did it, we can do it. And we're going to see that we have the same exact resources that Paul did. And I hope this message is helpful. I hope it's practical that you can take it out to your workplace. You can take it to your neighbors, you can take it home, to your friends. And God can use you the same way. Because I always think of Paul, man, I'd like to be Paul. Well, I'm not Paul, I'm Tyler. And God wants to use me just like he did the Apostle Paul. And that's going to look at this morning. Let's have a word of prayer and then you can be seated. Father, we are thankful for today. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that there is grace that is greater than all our sin. And Lord, I'm thankful for the change that it can make in a life. I'm thankful that change that it made in my life. Lord, I pray if there is one here this morning that does not know uh, that wonderful grace that you offer so freely through your finished work there on the cross of Calvary, that today would be the day of salvation. But Lord, for those that do know you as their Savior, that we, as we look into this message, Lord, we can see that you've called us to do the very same thing that's taking place in this chapter. Lord, I pray you would help us to be uh, courageous about it. You would give us the strength and, the, and your spirit, Lord, as we move forward in the days you've called us to. And I pray you would just be with me now. You'd empty me of self, cleanse me of sin, fill me with your spirit. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. When I begin studying for a message, I like to go and read very deep commentaries because I'm extremely intelligent. So I start with Charles Schultz. He's one of my favorite commentators. You may be familiar with his work, uh, Peanuts. I love that stuff. That's more my level. Uh, that's kind of where I like to hang out and live. But in one of the Peanut uh, comic strips, uh, Lucy is seeing and, and talking to Charlie Brown. And, and she was telling Charlie Brown, if I'm in charge of the world, I would change everything. And Charlie Brown looks at her and he said, you know, Lucy, that wouldn't be real easy. Where would you start? And Lucy looks directly at him and without any hesitation. And she points a finger and she said, I'd start with you. I'd imagine there's a lot of us like Lucy here today. If we had the opportunity to change the world, we know where we'd start, and it would probably be maybe with somebody we know. Uh, just to be honest, I'd probably start with gas prices as one of the things uh, after traveling all the way up here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we got things that we can change, and most of the things when we think of it off the top of our head and we're just being silly, uh, they're, they're kind of convenience things. You know, this would make my life easier, so I'd change this, and I'd change that, and I'd change this, and I'd have my wife be a little bit nicer to me, and different things like that. Different things like that. But if we, on a real serious note, if we, if we really had the opportunity to change the world, how would we do it? You know, we, we think about it. How would we do it and, 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 and what would we change? If we had a, a chance to really change the world. Because we look at it right now and I think we could all agree in this room, whether we're on the same page on every issue, there's a lot of things that probably need to be changed. And we think, I'd like to change this and this and this, but how would we go about bringing real change? Some talk of world change as, an, as very idealistic and, and naive. They believe the world is fine as it is. The comedian Stephen Colbert in a parody a commencement address to the, to the Princeton grads, he said, hey, you can change the world. You've graduated college. You can do all these things. Please don't do that. 
Some of us like how it's going. Now, I don't necessarily agree uh, with that statement, but there's a lot of people that just kind of like it how it is. They just, hey, let's just let, let it be, and what it is, it, it is. There are others that uh, may admire the idea of changing the world, but they're too complacent to do so. We think about it, and we say, well, they should do this, and they should do that, and they should do this. But, but here, here's, a, here's a reminder, and I know that you know this, and we see it all throughout the book of Acts. We really see it throughout, throughout the Bible. That as Christians, we are expected to be a part of a, a Christ-centered, kingdom-advancing, world-changing movement. That's what God has called us to do. If you know the Lord is your Savior, that is what God has, has commissioned you to do. And that's what we see in the book of Acts as, as you start there in chapter 1 and you go through that that, they, that, that we see the disciples living on mission for Jesus Christ. That as Jesus was there in the book of John, especially there in the upper room discourse, and he was about to die on the cross, he, he gave his disciples this commandment. That they would love one another. I see that that's your, your, your theme for this year. But the reason they were to love one another is so they were, they were working together for the cause of Christ to be able to send the truth forward. And that they would live on mission. And, and God intended for them to do that. And, and we see that taking place here in the book of Acts. Because when a life is lived on mission, it will turn the world upside down. It may not turn the entire world upside down, but it can turn the world around you upside down. God didn't call you to reach the whole world. He called you to reach your world. And we see that uh, this idea that, that Jesus gave the disciples kind of in, in, in words and in writing, so to speak, actually being lived out here in the book of Acts. According to verse number 6 that we read already, that uh, by the time Paul and his team had reached Thessalonica in chapter 17, they had turned the world upside down. Paul wasn't uh, lackadaisical about his, his, his calling. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, half-hearted about what God had wanted to do. Paul was all in. That's how Paul lived his life. He lived it all in for the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and we see this taking place. But it really shouldn't be a shock to us. I mean, I read that verse, and every time I read it, I think, wow, that's awesome. I mean, that's an amazing thing. I, I can't believe that Paul did it. No, that's exactly what Jesus designed the church to do. In, in Acts 1.8, he said, but you shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost uh, come upon you. You shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the utter part, uttermost part of the world. So when we come to Acts 17... We really shouldn't be shocked that it's reached the uttermost part of the world and it's changed the world. It, even though the persecution was great. Because we look at that and we may ask ourselves, how did Paul and his missionary team turn the world upside down? I mean, they have limited resources. They really have nothing. And if you study the history of the church, especially this first century church, everybody was against them. There, there's no way they should be successful. I mean, Rome is trying to stamp them out. The, the Jewish brethren are trying to just completely stop this church. They have limited resources and, uh, and unlimited opposition. I mean, they didn't have buildings. I mean, they were just meeting in house to house. They, they didn't have finances. They didn't have Facebook. How do you survive? I know Facebook's for old people, Instagram and Twitter. And, but I'm just, all these things that we have, we have so many things available to us. Yet they had nothing, but they turned the world upside down. And really, humanly speaking, they have zero reason to be successful. Because at the beginning of this book, they were scared out of their mind. They were locked up in an upper room. And Jesus was trying to just get them outside. Hey, let's go get some fresh air. 
I mean, let's, let's, not, let's not hide out here for a long time. I got a job for you to do. Hey, I, I've conquered death, hell, and the grave. Let's, let's continue to, to move forward. But what I see here as I've, I've gone through the book of Acts, and if you've read through it, you see the same thing as well. We have some of the same resources they have. Now, we have more. And we got a beautiful building. It's a beautiful church. I mean, it is gorgeous, and, and we have, you have resources. We have them at our church, but, but when it really boils down to it, we have what they had. We have God's spirit and God's word. And, and those two things are more than enough to turn the world upside down. Sometimes we try to do all these other things, but without these two things, you can have the nicest building, the, the, the best graphics, all these different things. It will do nothing. But they got a hold of this because they realized, you know what, it's all they had. And it was more than enough. And as we walk through this text, I, I want us just to see some very practical ways to put these resources into actions. You have them. Many of you are holding one right here. It might be this version. It might be on a phone or an iPhone. But you have the Word of God. And if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have His Spirit. He, that same Spirit that He's given, the, the Holy Ghost that we have, that when He said, all power is given unto me, He gives it to us. So we're not lacking but, but are we putting it in, into use? Are we putting it uh, into drive, so to speak? So we see here in the first couple of verses, in, in verse number one and two, sometimes we just kind of read these verses. I know I used to kind of just read them and say, okay, he's going here and going there. But what we see is Paul and his team is reaching Thessalonica. But they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Did you notice Paul passed through some towns? Isn't Paul supposed to preach the gospel everywhere that he goes? Every person that he meets? Well, God has called us to do that. But, but here's the thing. There's people, no doubt, in those cities in Amphipolis and Apollonia that needed the Lord. But Paul was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that the Lord was taking him to Thessalonica. And why the Bible doesn't exactly tell us why, we know this about Paul's team, that he was following the Lord consistently. And they trusted his leading. And God knows what he's doing. And if you read the book of Thessalonians, Paul writes back to Thessalonians and, and appreciates and thanks them for sounding the word out. Paul got the gospel to Thessalonica because it was, a, it was a major city. And he got the gospel there, and you know what they did? They went to Amphipolis, and they went to Apollonia, and they went to their communities and their suburbs and their places of work, and they shared the word of God. Paul, Paul probably thought, man, we should probably stop here. There's people. The Lord said, hey, let's just get to Thessalonica. That's where I want you to be. And that's why he was eager to get there as well, because it was the capital city of this province of Macedonia. It was a, it was a, a very well-populated city, over 200,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's probably right around what Sioux Falls is. But in these days, that is a massive city. And it would be a melting pot of culture and, and commerce where, where it would be on a trade route. So not only did you have uh, certain people, I mean, you had the whole world coming to Thessalonica. And really, you, if you study the book of Acts, Paul likes to go to these places because he can get it there. Then these people get saved, get the gospel, and they go out all over the world. And so Paul was excited to get there. It was much like his sending church in, in Antioch. But we see here in verse number 2 that Paul, we see Paul's first point of contact. We see his operating. How This was Paul's M.O. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. This is the synagogue. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. See, Paul, what he did is he, he was there and, he, and he, every town he went to, if they had a synagogue, that's where you would find Paul. Now, Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
When he was there on the road to Damascus and God saved him, he said, I got a great job for you to do. And he commissioned him to go to all the Gentiles, which is crazy when you think, I mean, Paul was as Jewish as Jewish could be. I mean, he was the poster boy for the Jewish religion. And God said, you know what? I want you to go to the Gentiles. And yet Paul did it and Paul uh, was, was, was faithful to that call, but he still stopped by the temple. Still stopped by the synagogues in these, in, in these places. But I want us to notice this. Yes, the move was theological because Paul was Jewish. But, but here's something else. It was also practical. It, 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 was, it was a point of contact for Paul because it was a simple relationship. He would walk into a synagogue and he knew those people. They had the same background. They would have went to the same kind of schools and, and they had the same traditions and they ate the same food. They, they just were the same kind of people. He grew up as a Jewish boy. He's still a Jewish man. And so he would go to these, he would go to these synagogues and he encountered Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles who were very familiar with religious things. That was Paul's wheelhouse. I mean, you read Philippians chapter 3, the first eight or seven or eight verses. I mean, Paul lays it out, man. He's like, I'm as Jewish as you will ever be. So he went to people that knew all the things that he loved growing up. And then he had this, this point of contact. And he encountered them there. And, and, and I think sometimes we can read verse 2 and say, yeah, he went to the synagogue because that's what he did. And he was there three Saturdays. There's a lot more going on in verse number 2 than that. It, what, what Paul's habit was here, yes, he was going to the synagogue. He was finding Jews. But he was finding a quick way to connect with people in a new location. That he understood what they were doing. He understood why they were doing it. He understood they were very sincere and they were just trying to do everything they could and, and keep the law and keep the tradition and do all these things. And Paul's heart hurt for them. Because Paul understood, yeah, there, there's some things that you can do, but it was supposed to point to Jesus. And they were missing it just like Paul was. But he went there to, to, to establish a connection. And, it, and, and really what I see here in verse number 2 and what the Lord really showed me is that we should be able to establish points of contact in our own city. Because there's things that God has given you. He's given you a, a, a passion and a hobby or a job. You know what that is? It's a point of contact. It's your synagogue, so to speak. And, and Paul is there. And, and, and this is where the rubber meets the road for us is where is ours? You need one. And you probably have one. But you may just not realize that's what it is. And, and, and maybe volunteering somewhere or, or doing something like that or a mentor program or whatever it might be, but it's a great inroad to share the gospel. And listen, don't overthink it. Because when you're passionate about something and it's like a hobby of yours, and man, if, you, if you're talking to somebody and you kind of hit a nerve on a hobby or a passion, man, they won't stop talking about it. I mean, if anybody wants to talk golf with me, I'll talk golf with you all day long. And you're thinking, I wish I never brought this up. My wife just has to listen about it, I'm, and she's very excited about it. You know, I know Brother Heath, he likes snowmobiles. He's told me all about them. I don't really have a snowmobile. Sounds awesome, though. But I don't like cold weather, so I'm probably not going to come up here when it's freezing. I mean, it's freezing outside right now. It's just what it is, man. But I, I just, I want us to understand, I, I want us to overthink it. That maybe it is snowmobiling, or maybe it is uh, whatever your hobby might be. Maybe it is golf, maybe it is something like that, where God has given you a point of contact, where you have something that's, that you're connected with already. And you can use that. And God's saying, hey, I, it's not we have to just live this, this life where all we do is read and pray all the time. No, God wants us to live life with gospel intentionality. 
And that's, that's what Paul is doing right here. I mean, I love sports. I mean, I love it. It doesn't matter if my team's playing or not. If it's sports, I'm going to watch it. My wife says things like, you don't even like this team. Who I don't care. What if something happens? I don't want to miss it. I mean, I love college football. I'm, we're from the South. College football is the thing. I and mean, that's just what it is. And then, unfortunately, we live in Texas. It used to be the thing, but that team down there can't win anything. Last time they won any meaningful game, I was like nine years old. I'm 36. I'm sorry if you're a Cowboy fan all the way up here, man. It's, it's, lo it's a lonely life. But I love sports. And, and one of the things that I, I finally decided to do was when my kids started getting older, just to coach. Is it, is it fun running around with seven-year-olds trying to get them to catch a baseball? Sometimes it's not. It's like herding cats. <laughs> and they take it off, and they're picking flowers, and they're picking their nose, and they're doing all these different things. But it's something I'm passionate about, and I love sports, and I'm trying to help these kids, but also I'm meeting their parents. And then my kids are meeting their kids, and, and they, my kids are excited about church, and so, hey, like, why don't you come to our church? It's just something very simple. It's, it's something I want to do anyways, and I want something I want my kids to do. And we can do fun things, and you can have hobbies and, and be involved in things. But you know what? When you're there, you have a chance to speak truth into people's life. And just to love them where they are, and they can kind of see you as a real person as opposed to maybe sometimes they, this person's just after me. No, we are after them because God is after us. I, I, I was praying for a while about maybe a chaplaincy thing, just trying to figure some way to get into a community into our community, and it really, wasn't a, it really wasn't working out, they weren't really for it, and uh, made a great friendship with a, a, a young man my, right around my age that owns a Chick-fil-A, I love Chick-fil-A, <laughs> I mean, it's a blessing, y'all have one, I heard, man, it's awesome, and if you don't, there's an altar right here, when the service is over, you can come get it right with the Lord. But, you know, I was praying about it, and I had talked to my wife about it, and I was just saying, man, I, and I had heard a message, a guy come and preach, man, just get involved in the community, and I coached a little bit, and I was thinking, what, what am I going to do? And Michael come up to me, and he said, hey, you want to work a couple days a week at Chick-fil-A? I was like, do I get free chicken? <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. When you work, you get a free meal. I'm like, I'm down. But, but it, I mean, I know it's a silly illustration, but the Lord opened that door. Because I love Chick-fil-A. I was already there so much they thought I worked there. Because <laughs> we live in a small town. There's just, like when Chick-fil-A came here, I mean, it was like, wow. We have arrived as a, as a town now. And so I was, I was excited. I was passionate about Chick-fil-A because it was clean and good food. But the Lord gave me that opportunity. And now I work just a couple days a week, two or three days a week. I mean, I like a little bit of extra money, but that's not why I'm working there. Because the Lord gave me the opportunity just to be there and work alongside of people. And, and I've met some people that were, were avoiding my door knocking and uh, phone calls. They're like, you don't preach at the church anymore? I was like, I do. And you haven't been there in a while. You should come. All right, you're not getting your food. But I, I just, I, I'm just saying, maybe God is opening a small door like that for you. I don't know what it, those are just things that are just very practical in my life. That God has given me the opportunity just to be involved and just to be there. And, I mean, I'm working with a lot of these kids that are coming out of high school or are going into college, and it just breaks my heart. I mean, they are so lost. I mean, they don't know up from down. They've never even heard the gospel. But it is a cool opportunity to see them. Like, I'm, I, they call me preacher man. 
And they can just ask me. They, they, might ne- they might have never walked into our church at the beginning, but now they have a point of contact. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was going to them. He wasn't waiting for them to come to church. These were Jewish people. They weren't going to come to the church. They're Jews. They're going to go to the synagogue because that's what they're supposed to do. So Paul met them where they were, and and it's just simply an idea that maybe it's hosting your neighbors and your friends. Maybe you're really good at cooking out. Invite me over. We'll test it out. But you want to grill out? Maybe invite your neighbors. Hey, we're going to cook some burgers. We're going to say, why don't you come over? Maybe it's just taking a walk in your neighborhood and, and just starting to meet people. And developing a that's everybody can do that. I, I'm sure some of you go to the same restaurant every single day, week. You probably maybe have a Sunday restaurant. You're, you're thinking, is he done yet? I'm ready to go to the restaurant. Maybe that's your point of contact. And just loving on them. And just being there. And maybe they ask questions. They start, hey, where, where do you go to church? Oh, we go to Eastside. You should come over. Sometimes it's just that simple. That's just the idea that I see here in these first couple of verses that, that we're to work and we're to play and we're to enjoy life with this gospel intentionality. Paul did it. He didn't have like a ministry mode and this mode. No, the gospel was Paul's life. And that's why he was so effective. See, when you meet people where they are, when you love them, when you care for them, when you're interested in the same things that they're interested in, relationships are built. And God will open the door to share the word of God. That's exactly what Paul did. He went there in these next couple of verses, in verses uh, at the end of verse number two, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Paul reasoned with them. He, 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 didn't, he, he was just talking with them and, and helping them think about the Bible. What was he reasoning that Christ had to suffer and die and rise again? Now, when you see the name Christ in the New Testament, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but just as a reminder, it's not his name. Christ is his title. It is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah. So what Paul is coming and alleging, he's, he's saying that the Messiah had to do this and he had to do this and he, had to, he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on a cross and he was buried and he, and he rose again and they would agree with that. They said, that's the Messiah. And Paul said, yeah, it's Jesus. And he began to get them to think from their old way of thinking and they were just so used to living life like this and hey, we're good people and we're trying the best that we can. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being the best that you can. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul took them from where they were. He said, I was right where you were. And I was doing all those things. I mean, I was, uh, I was uh, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. But I was a sinner. And, and, he, and he guided them along and he loved them. I don't know what he used. Maybe he taught them out of Psalm 16 or 22 or Isaiah chapter 53. But what we do know is Paul didn't just teach the facts of the Bible. He shared the storyline. He opened in the legend. He said, you remember this? And, and Moses told us this. Because they understood that. That was their realm. Listen, the Bible is just God's redemptive narrative for man. From Genesis to Revelation, it's how God loved us and how he came for us. And we see his mercy and his love. He's just. There's a payment that must be paid for our sins, but he paid it. And that's what Paul was telling them and teaching them. And this group would have been very, very familiar with the Messiah. And he was showing them that 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 Messiah that you're looking for, he already came. And his name's Jesus. And he taught that. And Paul made Jesus the hero of the Bible because he is. It's all about him. It's all about him. He taught about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his his coming kingdom. 
And it wasn't an easy thing to do. Because if you studied the life of the Apostle Paul, really his missionary's journeys begin in chapter 13. Every time Paul did this, didn't always work out real well for him. There were times where sometimes they received it. Most of the time they said, let's throw him in jail. Let's kill him. I mean, there's times he was left for dead. They thought he was dead. They're like, okay, we got the job done there. And yet Paul, everywhere he went, he still shared the same message. He didn't water it down. He, he didn't say, well, you know, I'll, I'll soften this a little bit. No, he knew what they needed. He was willing to endure countless afflictions for proclaiming Jesus Christ. Here, here's the thing. We don't really even understand that. There are places around this world, and I know that you know about them, and you hear missionary letters about them, and, and it's an awful, awful thing. But here, we still have the opportunity to share the gospel with really no pushback per se in that sense. Yeah, they may not like it, but if you love them, they're going to understand at least where you're coming from. We need to have the same kind of boldness. Our community needs it. Your friends need it. Your coworkers need it. Listen, God's word still changes lives. It's not, a, it's not just something the Apostle Paul had. He didn't even have all of it. God was going to use him to write a lot of it. But he, had, he took what he had. He, he took the truth of who Jesus Christ was, and, it, and, he, and he, he proclaimed it, and it changed. Paul wasn't going there and saying, you need to learn all these facts. No, what Paul was doing is he was helping people change the way they thought. Because we're, we're bent to think like the world thinks. That's our natural, that's our natural inclination. You know, really, if you read the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to change the way that we think. Because when we change the way that we think and we think biblically, it changes the way that we live. It changes how we live. It changes what we do and what's important to us. And Paul helped him do that. But, but I want to remind us of something. Sometimes it takes a long time. Some, sometimes it takes a while for someone to be persuaded of the good news. Maybe they realize it's true, but it's hard for some people to understand that it's available for them. You ever try to share the gospel and somebody says, you don't know what I've done? Maybe you don't, but you don't know what Jesus Christ did. It's not about what you've done, it's about what he already did. And Paul loved them and Paul understood that. This was Paul's passion of his life. And we have to be patient and, and we, we need to be there and be ready to answer their questions. And just to answer them kindly, by the way. Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. There's some people like, I, th I thought, man, I I'll be honest, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to buy all these people to church, and they're just going to come. It hadn't worked that way yet. But I have learned that they're interested, and they have lots of questions. They just need somebody there to just be there for them. Maybe they'll come to our church, maybe they'll get saved, but I'm going to at least give them the opportunity to do so. J just to be there. See, Paul lived this way. That's why we think of Paul's life and, and we think, man, he's so successful. No, he just lived what he taught. Paul's life illustrated his teachings. Paul wasn't one of these, and we see it. I don't think Paul, if Paul would have walked in this room right now with like, wow, Paul. I mean, he probably wasn't 6'5". No, he probably was lowly, and he, he, some people believe it was a, his thorn in the flesh. was I did. Paul was probably not something like, who's that guy? But when you're around Paul, I think you could just feel the presence of God. And you can feel the love because Paul realized and knew what he used to be. And he's thankful he wasn't there, but he didn't want anybody else to, to go down the road he was going. He, he wanted all those people uh, that he came in contact with to know the Lord. See, when, here's the truth, though, that we see in this chapter. 
that the good news, when the good news is preached, it brings a wide gamut of responses. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to do it. Maybe you're thinking right now, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to, this week I'm going to tell somebody and I'm going to, they may not like it. We see that taking place here in verses 4 through 9 and in verse number 4 the Bible says, and some believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks and a great multitude of the chief women, not a few. And this was very unlike Jewish culture for Paul. Women had a, a considerable social and civic influences. You, you see Paul's church that, he, that the Lord helped him start in, in Philippi. First convert was a lady named Lydia, extremely wealthy, and God used her. And so Paul is beginning to even understand, like, hey, this is for everybody. And, and God's using him. And it's just a reminder that God saves all kinds of people. Paul went there because he was Jewish. But Greeks believed. Women believed, and this culture would be something just shocking to everybody. Gentiles are being saved. Listen, just because he had a point of contact, it opened up the door for a whole lot of other things. Because Paul was faithful to be where he was supposed to be. And, and, and Paul just trusted in the power of the gospel, and he proclaimed it. But as you see throughout Paul's ministry, as soon as there's a little bit of success and, and, and things are beginning to roll in the right direction, there seems to be immediate opposition. So we see in verse number five. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy and took them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I love that. I mean, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. I mean, families are being put back together. All these things are happening and these Jews are thinking, ugh. Because they, they think it's disgusting that a Gentile can be in the same realm as them. That God loves those people the same that he loves them. And they were so opposed to it. It's, we see it all through Christ's ministry that he's, going to, he's teaching to the, to the low and the down and out. And the Pharisees are saying, hey, you can't do that. No, for God so loved. And God's saving all these people, but they're moved to envy. And, and so they, they don't really have anything else to do. So they hire some certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Say, what does that mean? Well, I love how A.T. Robertson described them. He said it's this, they're bums. See, that's, that, that, I love those. That, that, I, can, I can understand that. They're bums. And here was their goal. It was to create a public outrage against Paul and Silas. They didn't have any truth. They just didn't like what's going on. It was affecting their life. It was going to mess up their social circles. It, it, they didn't want those kind of people in their church. So they stormed the house of Jason. This would be the man that opened up his house for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the church to be started here in Thessalonica. And he extended the hospitality to Paul and, his, and Silas and his missionary team. And they didn't find Paul and Silas there at that time. So they brought Jason to the rulers of the city and they leveled some charges against him. Here, here's one of the charges. Hey, he's harboring those that have turned the world upside down. Hey, he, he, he's, he's a bad dude because he's harboring these men. And, and, and they declared this, that these Christians were acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. You notice if, if you think about Jesus and you think about all this, it's the same thing. They got nothing, so they just say, well, we, we love Caesar. They didn't love Caesar. They just loved themselves. They weren't about Jesus, and these accusations were completely untrue, but it was a great strategic ploy. The rebellion against Caesar was pure treason. I mean, if you were accused of that, man, you're gone. I mean, they're cutting your head off. You don't want no part of that. Were Paul and Silas spreading the message that Jesus was king? Absolutely. But Jesus isn't a political king. He's much greater than that. 
Our answers aren't political. Our answers are Jesus Christ. That's what they preached. That's what, they, that's what changed lives. That's what turned the world upside down. It, it wasn't that somebody knew was in office. No, what turns the world upside down is Jesus is on the throne. And that's Paul's message. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and really, when you think about it, I love the phrasing, but they weren't really turning the world upside down. They were setting it right side up. That's the crazy thing. We think, man, you Christians, the Christians are just crazy. They just want to turn everything upside down. No, no, it's all backwards right now. You remember how you thought your life was just good and everything and everything was just right side up and then you met Jesus Christ and you realized you were a sinner and you're thinking, oh, life's right side up now. I can't believe I was living all this time and, and thinking I was doing the right thing, but the Lord changed it. Not once did Paul and Silas preach that they were to overthrow Rome. There's nowhere in Paul's message. No, his message is this, the gospel. And these ludicrous accusations that stemmed from jealousy that the Gentiles were becoming Christians rather than Jews. And they had nothing to refute the arguments, so what did they do? They just resorted to mob violence. They said, well, we can't beat them with intellect. We, we got no accusations. Let's just get real loud about it. That's exactly what they did. In verse number 8, they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, and they, when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let him go. They forced Jason there in verse number 9 to post bond is what it means, taking security. It was probably extremely hefty price. Because maybe they had heard about the, all the mess that happened in Philippi where they arrested Paul and they tried all this and they found out he was Roman and then this giant earthquake showed up and the God freedom out of jail. thing. we don't want that to happen. So they, 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 they made him pay a very hefty fine. And he, if he was to cause any disturbance, if Paul and these troublemakers were to cause a mess, he's going to lose all that money. Paul understood that, and it meant Paul and Silas had to go. So they're under the cover of night in verse 10 through 15. They send Paul and Silas to Berea. It's a different place. It's a little bit different message, but a method, but here's the thing. It's the same message. Look at verse 10. This, 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 every time I read this about Paul, it just blows my mind. And the brethren sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, and they came thither, and they didn't do anything about it. That's <laughs> not what it says. Where did they go? The synagogue. The very same thing that caused all the problems in Thessalonica, and it caused all the problems in, 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 in all these cities, in Antioch, and every place they've gone. You know what Paul did? The very same thing. Because that's what God had called him to do. He, he, we read that sometimes I think, Paul, you're, you're crazy. And sometimes we sometimes justify in our mind, well, I don't want to do that because, that, I mean, I tried that one time. It didn't work. I mean, this is the guy. This is Paul. This is how committed Paul was to the gospel. They did stone him to death in, in, in Lystra. They thought he was dead. Paul gets up. The Lord raises him up. He walks right back into the very same city and preaches the gospel. I'm thinking, Paul, you have lost your marbles, man. But God was with him. He was, God's not calling us to be crazy, but God had called Paul to do that. Paul understood his job, and he did his job and his calling. But what's refreshing here is when Paul did that, there was a much different response from the Jews at, at, at Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Bible says in verse 11. And that they had received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Listen, Paul's message was the same. He would have opened and alleged that Jesus was the Messiah just like he always did. But here's the thing, they received it. They heard it and they listened. 
As we close it down, I wanted just to think a couple things about the, the Bereans that will help us, I think. Here's the first thing that we see. They study the scriptures openly. They, they study the scriptures daily. It, it, was, it was how they lived their life. They had a teachable attitude. Their hearts were open. They weren't hardened. Those Jews in Thessalonica, they had already made their mind up. You ever tried to argue with somebody that had their mind already made up? Doesn't work real well, does it? I think we're all hard-headed on some things at times. This is how we should approach the Word of God. God, show me, teach me, transform me. That, that's how, that, listen, that's how you should come to church every single time. Whether it's Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whether there's any type of thing. When the Word of God's open, we can't say, well, I've heard this one before. We've all heard it before, but you know what we say? God, show me something. Teach me something. Transform me something. The, the Bereans, they, they studied it openly and daily, but they studied it with eagerness, with all readiness of mind. I mean, they were excited about it. They wanted to know what God had to say. They, they wanted something they could apply to their own life. Listen, God's people, and especially his church, should be filled with people longing for a hearty portion of God's word. How many of you are going to eat cotton candy for lunch today? Some of you teenagers. Cotton candy's okay. How many is going to eat meat and potatoes or something like that? Two people, amen. We're going to eat something a little better than that. Yeah, okay, just making sure. I mean, I'll eat cotton candy, but in like 30 seconds, I'm hungry again. I, I am. Listen, God didn't call your preacher, I know this for a fact, to preach cotton candy messages. You should be thankful for that. Sometimes they're encouraging. Sometimes they're uplifting. Sometimes it's like, oh, man. You say, preacher, you really stepped on my toes today. You should be thankful for that. Amen. You should be thankful that God speaks to you. Listen, I like to use humor. I like to say funny illustrations and different things. But that's not what God called me to do. Ultimately, he called us to preach the gospel. Because that's what changes lives. And they were eager and they were ready to do that. And they studied the scriptures carefully. I love this. They weren't gullible. They listened to Paul preach. He opened and alleged it. You know what they did? They checked it out for themselves. I don't know if Brother Jason says this, but I say it all the time. Hey, bring your Bible. Read your Bible. Don't just take it home and say, well, preacher said it, so it must be true. Hopefully it is. That's why God gave you the opportunity. And you know what you can do? I love when people say, hey, preacher, I was reading this this week. What do you think about this? Hey, God showed me that I needed that. Encourage your preacher, encourage, encourage your pastor with that. Hey, that you're in the word of God and that you're, you're learning and you're growing. I, I, I love that. It, it's so helpful. But here in verses 12 and 13, as we close it out, we see the message at Berea was the same. Message Paul preached everywhere. And it went with the same predictable outcome. Verse 12, therefore many of them believed also. And believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Hey, listen, when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is shared, it, it will change lives. It, it, people will get saved. Maybe not the first time they hear it, but if we're faithful and we're consistent, uh, God can work in that. Verse 12, lots of people were saved. Verse 13, problems showed up. <laughs> I mean, these Jews in Thessalonica are out of their mind. They heard that Paul's preaching in Berea. They said, you know what? Let's go down there and start a riot. That, that was the, that was the, that, it was just what Paul had to deal with. But despite all the problems that Paul faced, God started a church in Thessalonica. God started a church in Berea, and he used it to change the world around them. The, the turning the world upside down didn't stop here. It kept going. 
And these Bereans, and you can read later on how, how God used them and, and used them in the offerings and the different things that God used to, to spread the gospel even further. Despite the limited resources, despite the relentless opposition, what's central to every one of these little stories here in these first 15 verses? The word of God and his spirit. That's all they had, but it was more than enough. How did Paul and his companions and his missionary team turn the world upside down? By turning the word loose. This is not something that we just put under our arm and take with us to church and set it on our nightstand and read it every once in a while. No, we should do that, but it should be lived out loud. Paul would preach it, but then Paul would go out and he was a tent maker. You know what he did? He lived the gospel there. He, when he went to the market, when he, maybe he wasn't always preaching, but his life was. Because he lived it out with, he worked and he played and he, he, he taught with gospel intentionality. What turns the world upside down? The word of God. It really is that simple. A couple of questions and we're done. Has the word of God turned your world upside down or right side up? Say, so what do you mean? Do you know the Lord is your savior? Listen, the reason Paul's so effective and the reason people are singing out this morning and so excited about being here is, is not because they have nothing else to do. No, it's because Jesus Christ changed their life. The, the message of the book of Acts is continuing what Jesus started, that Jesus died for our sins on an old rugged cross and was buried and he rose again and he's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave and he wants to give you a life worth living to make you a brand new creature. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. And how do we know that? By the word of God. That he's told us these truths and that's why he came and that's why he loves us and that's why we've gathered here this morning so that we can have that life. And, and, and you think, well, it will turn my whole world upside down. Yes, it will, but it will be worth it. Amen. You think, well, i got to give this up. You're not going to give up anything. That's, that it's, God's going to take care of everything. You think it's important now and you realize, wow, God loves me that much. You say, I know, I know the Lord is my Savior. Are you turning the world upside down? What's your point of contact? Maybe you know one, go there. Maybe you're not sure, ask God, he'll give you one. He'll say, this is, what, this is exactly what I want you to do. See, in order to share the word, you got to know the word. That's why we looked at those few verses. We didn't dive, dive into it real deep. But those Bereans, they knew the word. They studied it. They were eager. They were ready for the opportunity. Are you working and playing and enjoying life with gospel intentionality? It's your job to turn the world upside down. Would you stand with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed? Sometimes we look at the book of Acts and we look at the Bible and we think, man, I'm not sure I can do that. When we really look at it, though, God makes it very simple and very practical for us. Was Paul an amazing man of God? Absolutely. Did he do unbelievable things? Yes, in our mind he did. But he, it was a very simple way that he lived his life. He found a point of contact. He, he loved people where they were. He just loved them because he knew, hey, that used to be me. I, I used to just think I was a good person. I was going to do all these things that I was going to have. But then I met Jesus Christ and it changed everything. 
Listen, do you have your Damascus Road experience where you were going one way and God showed up and changed it? I hope that you do. Maybe it's this morning. Maybe today, Lord, saying, that's what you really are looking for. Maybe you come to church because you're just trying to do the good and be better. And No, it's not about that. It's about knowing the Lord. I don't know how the Lord spoke to you. I pray that he did. But if he did, do not walk out these doors without responding to him. I have a verse of invitation. We're going to open this altar up. Maybe just thank the Lord he saved you. Thank the Lord he turned your life upside down. Maybe you have a point of contact and you've been faithful to go there. Ask the Lord just keep helping you. Be patient. God's working. Trust him. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your goodness. But I pray you would just help us to live our life with gospel intentionality. Just like the Apostle Paul did. The same things he did in his missionary team and all throughout the New Testament and throughout the ages really that's been effective. It's not because of anything special. It's because of you. We have the same resources. Lord, help us to use them. Help us to learn it and live it. But I pray you would work today as only you can. We ask all these things in Christ's name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.